Welcome to The She Births Show Season 3, a place to inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. I am Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified childbirth education program, She Births. I'm also a mother, yoga teacher, doula, author, speaker. At She Births, we have supported thousands of families around the world for over 12 years with our unique program. And our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world. We hope that everyone experiences a beautiful birth, no matter what unfolds. Not only do we help people have beautiful births, but we give them the skills and the philosophy to enjoy pregnancy and even make parenting easier. Our free pregnancy support guide is a place that you can utilize as a pre-education tool to help you feel calm, connected and inspired throughout pregnancy, rather than guilty and worried and stressed. Remember, if you like what you hear today in our podcast, please subscribe, share with a friend, leave us a review. So if you're a parent about to be one, a fellow health professional, join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. I hope you enjoy this very special episode. Welcome to season three, episode two, Common Sense and Compassionate Parenting with Maggie Dent. Maggie is a bit of a legend. She's commonly known as the queen of common sense, not a bad title. She's become one of Australia's favorite parenting authors and educators. Very funny in person, I have to say. She's got a great interest in the early years, adolescence and resilience. And her experience is incredibly broad crosses teaching, counselling, working in palliative care, funeral services and suicide prevention. Maggie regularly appears on national TV and radio and she's the host of ABC's podcast Parental as Anything. She is the author of six amazing books including her best-selling 2018 release Mothering Our Boys. She's also a proud mum to four wonderful sons and an enthusiastic and grateful grandmother. In our conversation today, we talk about Maggie's personal story and how she ended up becoming such a prolific author and why she does what she does. We talk about her favorite book, what she recommends for pregnant families. We talk about her cute little analogies that are so helpful in parenting, the lamb versus rooster, the kindness warrior, how parenting has changed in the last generation and two. And of course, how we bring mindfulness into the home and why it's so important. And this was recorded during the pandemic. So we also talk a little bit more about how we can cope better during COVID. We hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, let's jump in. Well, you know, this is birth, right? So birth and parenting, it's messy. And we like to talk about all things, no no holds barred, right? Um, I would love to know, like, you've become this common sense expert. You've written like 11 books. You're on TV. You're so busy. There's no slowing down for you. But how on earth did you end up here? Like, how did this whole journey begin for you? (laughs) It's so funny because it's an accidental journey. It certainly wasn't on my list. Um, Those who don't know, I was raised on a farm in the wheat belt in Western Australia and um, went to uni and thought I'd do journalism. I was quite good at English and writing and stuff. Um, 
But I had a moment where I failed my first essay in my entire life in my first semester. And I'd had a troubled experience um, with my mum and I remember her telling me it'd never amount to anything. And I thought she's right. I'm not even clever enough now to do what I thought I could do. And, you know, when you're 17 and a half, you can think like this. I walked back to our residential college and I tried to end my life with a bottle of pills because I thought there's just no point in living. I didn't succeed, obviously, but when I vomited them all up and I was on the floor, I thought at that point, sobbing and things, um, gosh, look how easy it is to make that decision when you're young. Um, and I just immediately thought I need to get back in the classroom. I need to work with teens who think like this and feel like this and I want to help them. I want to be a light in their life. So I turned to high school teaching. So um, I did that off and on, you know, um, for about 15 years in amongst my intensive breeding program. Um, but I was also drawn to uh, death and dying. So I, I did some palliative care, volunteering while I had my boys. I had this beautiful nanny figure, um, who used to come and look after my boys for a couple of hours here and there, which is my sanity bit. And so I did that first. And then um, I, I'd always wanted to be a newsreader on the ABC and a gig came up. So I ended up doing some producing and announcing on ABC radio. And then when I went back in the classroom after I had the boys, I was a stay-at-home mum for about seven and a half, eight years. Um, I really realised that I couldn't... Um, help those troubled teens and kids as much while I was teaching. So I did a post-grade diploma in counselling and therapy and stepped out of the classroom and did full-time counselling uh, for about six and a half, seven years um, while being an authorised celebrant, doing weddings and funerals and baby namings. And, and then I kind of had a burnout, which, of course, many of us women do, doing too much. And I thought I would just change a handout that I used in my um, professional learning stuff for teachers around calmness and turn it into a book. <laughs> so my first book was birthed in 2003 and kind of then um, parents kept saying, oh, look, can you talk to me about that? And then I kind of got nudged and nudged and, and I, I, that's, I don't know how it really happened actually. And now, um, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. But I really, really, um, I have to have to tell you not to call me an expert because I think anyone who's been to my no. seminars will put my hand up and say, gee whiz, I did so many bugger up moments. And a part of, I think, you know, that reason that I have got that following is because I do own it and I'm very real about it um, because it's absolute BS if you think any parents got it right all the time. And I think that gives other people um, permission to stop beating themselves up. I'm also really practical, Nadine. I love stuff that I can't stand too much theory. Um, I don't care how much research goes into some of the stuff. There's no way that would work in a house of only boys or that's <laughs> not going to work with teenagers. I just know. So I guess I'm looking for what parents can sometimes try um, because what we want is you know, we want to be doing a good enough job. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you now, good enough parents can raise kids that are pretty awesome. Um, they won't be perfect, just the same as we aren't. But I think that pressure on parents to do yeah. everything right and to be perfect is just... And, of course, for women, we're always reviewing everything we do 
mm. every day, aren't we? That's why we can't fall asleep. Like our, if we're lucky enough to have a good man in our life, he just goes, sound asleep. <laughs> uh, we go to bed and we go, oh my gosh, I could have done that better and I haven't done that and what can I do? And will I get into university? In other words, our brain doesn't stop, right? And often we're way too hard on ourselves. Yeah. So I guess that's the other thing I want to really chat about is just, just be in this moment and, yeah. and work on a kind of 80, 20 that, you know, 80% of the time be as good as you can. And 20%, you're just going to, you're going to lose it. You're going to muck it up. You're going to definitely have bugger up moments and you're going to have moments where you can't believe you just did or said what you just <laughs> did or said. <laughs> and you might lock yourself in the toilet and wonder why on earth I had children in the first place. But as long as it's only 20% and you get back up the next day and have another go at it, you're doing fine. Absolutely. I love it. And I think, yeah, I, I take the same sort of approach with birthing. It's like, yeah. you know, there is no expert for your birth. There's no expert for your kids. You're as good as it's going to get, you know, <laughs> and weave your own kind of path in life, yeah. your own kind of tapestry and yeah, very practical, very grounded as well approach as well. I love all of that. I think it's so helpful. I can remember, um, my very first pregnancy was hilarious really because um, my older sister kind of was like my mother figure in my life and she had um, had had a baby before me and so I kind of was and she would was two weeks later she had two the second one was just ahead of me because they're the same age cousins and I thought great so in our family we must be late that'll be lovely so I'm not getting too excited too planned and of course I you know the mucus plug comes out you know two and a half weeks too early and they're going yeah no you're right and I'm going no I don't have any contractions we're fine and and um about two or three days after that I kept getting these really incredible back aches anyway I no 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 contractions no contractions and of course they send me in to get checked out and of course I have a posterior, haven't I? So I'm not getting front contractions at all. I'm having very regular backaches and I am in early labor, like, duh. Yeah. I didn't read that chapter in the book. Um, yeah. and so in the end, um, I had to ring one of my girlfriends and say, Oh my gosh, I die. Um, I'm in hospital. I haven't bought nappies. Cause in those days we had to buy the cloth ones. I bought yeah. the nappies I bought the singlets. Um, I was going to do that in that last week. And she just burst into hysterics. And that was where I suddenly <laughs> learned exactly what you just said. Um, you know, be prepared for anything. Yeah. Because it can go yeah. in any direction. Um, and, and even after a couple, it still does its own thing. Yeah. And, and even after a couple, like you say, you're still learning. And totally. um, yeah, you, I believe, you know, you get the birth that you're meant to get for your evolution. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a unified effort. It's mum and partner and baby and all of our kind of parts coming, coinciding in that moment. You know, there's a lot I, for us all to learn. I was really glad I'd been a basketballer, Nadine, because um, <laughs> my first, obviously first birth can sometimes take age. It was a fairly long way, but what happened was his head got caught on my cervix. Yeah. So I had to do an awful lot of panting. I can't remember how long it was at the end of 27 or 28 hours. And, um, and I remember at a time, one of the nurses who was a friend of one of, you know, my friends was saying, gosh, she's amazing. I said, look, can I, can I just have time on the bench, like in basketball, just sort of sit out there and have about 20 minutes and I'll come back and finish this. But I'm pretty sure I'm done. <laughs> it was just all I needed. So in my head, I kept doing that. Anyway, yeah, and one of the things that I wanted to say um, was um, after that particular one, I got the absolute shakes. 
Mm. Um, massive, massive tremors. And I remember shaking so much and my teeth were tattering like mad. And I'm saying to my midwife, what the fuck is going on? Sorry about that. But literally, what, 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 what's this? Because I haven't done this before. She said, oh, no, sometimes your blood sugars get a bit high. And anyway, so they were sort of holding onto my legs a bit. Anyway, many years later, and I think it was about eight or nine years later, I did a trauma release um, experience, which was with a guy who created it, um, responding to people in trauma, in trauma situations, like with his bombings and things. And what he found was when something goes really traumatic, the body grabs in to survive. We lock down, we shut our sphincter and our everything, and we lock in. Yeah. The reverse reaction is letting go, but often, what do we do? And you, th you see this with little children. They often go, <laughs> there's a tremor. And he said, so what happens is the body needs to tremor out yeah. that amount of trauma stress. So in actual fact, years later, I find out that's exactly what was going on there. And apparently, I've spoken to a lady who does birthing in Botswana, and she said in, in African cultures, they don't let you even sit up till you've done your tremor. Wow. They actually encourage the body to let the tremor out. So it lets the trauma of the birth out. And yeah. so it's really fascinating that when I look back at it, I'm, you know, I didn't know anyone else who kind of had it. And mine was, was quite spectacular. Yeah. So again, when you learn later something you didn't know then, mm. you go, wow, that makes sense, doesn't it? Fascinating. Yeah, really. And so much about, you know, we hold experiences in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I love that you referred to children like and the way they breathe and the way they, they hold and contract yep. and release. And I think we've got so much we can learn from our children in, in terms of their emotions and their expressions. And we, we need to give space for our kids to release, you know, their fears and traumas. And, and they're often picking those up from our own kind of environment at home and yeah, all of that kind oh, of look, stuff. I mean, if that's one thing I could suggest to a parent who's um, about to go on this journey is, um, you know, there's a, there's a part of parenting that's still there from, you know, back in the 50s, 60s and 70s that mm. saw those sorts of discharge of energy and meltdowns and crying and screaming um, as a form of bad behaviour rather than a child trying to cope with that flooding of cortisol in their body and that we kind of feel we have to do something to either fix it or stop it where in actual fact our job is to allow it while we mm. hold a space for them so that mm. as it gets discharged, they've got that comfort right beside them and then we can make sense of it a little bit later. That was pretty big for you and I was yeah. really frustrated at your sister. Instead. So that's how the biggest shift I see that's happened, um, thankfully, due to the science of, you know, child psychology and, and you know, neuroscience, we now know um, that the allowing is actually way more important um, mm -hmm. than us stepping in to try and stop it. And yet how often, because it may have happened in our autobiographical memory of our childhood, it was, you know, stop it now and what's wrong with you and go there and, you know, whatever. And I can still, because um, I was quite a volatile little girl. I was a fifth of six, so hardly ever heard unless I was loud. And I was a foot stomper. They still laugh about it, really. I would stomp my foot when I was angry, really, 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 really hard. Stomp, stomp, stomp. And I can't look back at it and think, what a great technique I had as a little toddler. 
because foot stomping <laughs> is a really good way to discharge energy into the earth. Like, man, I was already onto it, wasn't I? Yeah. It was a lot of loud yelling and screaming as well. But I think that's, you know, and if I want to go just in one direction, when I was doing quite a few of the tours um, around both, you know, WA, central New South Wales, western New South Wales and parts of Queensland, I started to notice questions or that or something that a parent would come up after the seminar. And I started noticing um, things like, oh, I wish I'd known that's how a child's brain grows. Or I, I didn't know that boys and girls could be different in the way that they interpret the world or express things. I didn't know that... Um, temperament can be a difference. I, how come I don't know this stuff? Mm. So what I began to find was that the way that new parents get their information now isn't coming from what I call a wise kind of person in their circle of sphere, which I called a Wilma. Just everyone needs a Wilma. Or a Wilma. Wilma. <laughs> Wilma. Because I wanted an old world name. And now Wilma's, now remember sometimes you're old, but you're not really wise. Yes. And you're not the person to listen to. Sometimes Wilmers can be 30-year-old um, early childhood educators who are fantastic naturally with children because they've been around them forever or whatever. So that was where the idea from Nine Things came from. I wanted a back-to-basics guide to give parents um, information about nine things that are important for you to keep in your mind as you navigate this journey with your child who is the only child like that ever going to be born. There's no book written about your child. And your job is to work out who this child is, not the one you hope for, but the one you got, and how you can facilitate that child's growth and development into being the best expression of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that's kind of lovely. And in that kind of nine things, I also invited some people to let me know their best, what I wish I'd known. And mine was, I just wish I'd known that babies around six weeks of age can cry a lot and be perfectly healthy. I wish somebody had told me that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> right and then I wouldn't have stressed so much that I was the worst mother on the planet and it must be something I'm doing wrong. Yeah. yeah. Whereas we know developmentally it's, it's a really significant shift into their next stage of development. So we got some beautiful messages from mums in that one because... One mum had also said, I wish I had realised that when I have a newborn, you know, in the first six or eight weeks, you know, it's okay to stay in your nighty. Totally. You know, Absolutely. and if someone wants to come and see your baby, you don't have to get up and blow dry your hair and put makeup on. That's just rubbish. And you don't have to say yes. And that's... No, you can say no. Put the yeah. sign up on the door. Do not knock because we're I, having a sleep. Yeah, I actually think that the, the parents now going through this COVID time and yes. this fourth trimester are actually going to have some really special, yeah. sacred... Yeah strengthening, bonding, healthy attachment periods for that child and for the mum's immunity and strength because she'll be forced to rest. And also I'm going to give you another gift here because um, that's why I'm a little bit teary still because um, our latest little grandson was born, um, it's now eight weeks ago, and I caught him at three weeks. Oh. So I can't smell him, I can't see him, and even though he gets put up on the screen, yeah. I can't squeeze him and like, oh, oh that got me again. Um, but what's really interesting is that um yes isolation which meant that my son has no he's a lawyer that works in sydney he's home so my daughter-in-law has always got someone else in the house how nice and you know he's actually got used to doing some of his meetings you know with his his son on his shoulder and i so think good. it's actually been it's been this unbelievable gift 
Um, He did have some paternity leave, but but he said it wouldn't have been this long, Mum. And I can now work out I can work from home. So there are some days later on when you've got a newborn, you know, I can probably work remotely. I didn't know I could. So I'm pretty sure we're learning some gifts. Oh, it doesn't mean to say some days it's going to be really, really bad. And also we need, remember, you always got to stock up on fruit and nut milk chocolates or dark chocolates. (laughs) Because technically it's a health food. It's got fruit and nut in it. Totally. I've eaten so much chocolate. I know. I know. Like, And some people bought their Easter eggs. They had to go and buy it again, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, But can you see what we're doing? We're all in survival mode. Yeah. And survival mode pushes every button in us. And because we can't see the end point where life becomes predictable, it's a constant. The amygdala keeps firing us up. And so, of course, we have less um, energy often for our children. Yeah. They're struggling on a, in a different way. You know, there are some children who, young children who don't actually know even what's going on except they can't see their friends and they can't see Nanny and Poppy, which is a little bit heartbreaking. Um, but they kind of haven't got the sense that the rest of us have got that this, it's just ripped us all apart and all sorts of levels. I've got, you know, so many friends who have just lost businesses, lost jobs, yeah. no certainty for such a long period of time. So what we're doing is grieving Yes. Deeply grieving. And I said to you before we came on that I've had to actually deliberately set myself up with a uh, Netflix movie that makes me cry. I've, I've watched Notebook and literally took <laughs> half a box of tissues. I needed to actually bawl so deeply yeah. because it clears, like I said before, it cleared a lot of the stuff out of my nervous system. Mm. And I'm actually a lot better for the next few days after that. Um, and I think we have to take responsibility for our own big, ugly feelings around this um, because every one of us, every single one of us in this whole big yeah. wide world um, is struggling with the same sense of stress um, and we're not bad, we're not weak. This is exactly how we are supposed to respond to a threat to our survival. So it shows we've got an effective <laughs> um, early warning system. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for those parents, I think what you say is so true. I'm really noticing that in the pregnant community, um, the sense of grief and people at different stages of that grief um, as well and my own self. And yeah, I went, I did a yoga class the other day online and um, with my girlfriend that I did my training with, you know, I never would have got to her class. It's on the other side of Sydney. You know, it was just so beautiful to connect. And I literally just turned off my camera and just listening to her voice. I just bawled my way through yoga. Yeah. You know, I just had to have that space. There's so much we're letting go of. Yeah. And And it's one of the things I keep saying. um, And then we're with our partners yeah. who are also doing their best. And if you're with, a, you know, um, you know, you've got a man in your life, he's processing this differently to you. He does not necessarily want to talk or cry, but a part of him desperately would love to be able to cry and talk. So how's he dealing with it? Well, he'll often once again withdraw a bit more. Uh, he's hurting and frightened just as much as us. And every now and then I think um, it, it puts all of us into what we call our compulsive state, our most annoying state. you know you look at it it's just the most annoying state so thankfully a lot of guys tend to spend a lot of time in the toilet so I'm just what is that what is that no well there's a couple of reasons (laughs) a couple of reasons the first one is um (laughs) they're way more sensitive than us um when it becomes to doing a poo particularly that's why little boys don't poo at school totally 
men have much more sensitive stomachs and it's kind Honest to goodness, so all us women, we just, oh, it's a thing to do. We just on the list, go and do it, done, finish, whatever. Yeah. Um, quite often it takes them a while to get to that state. Um, so before they had a phone, they would be reading, always was their reading material. Because totally. Because to a relaxed state before they can actually do it. Leroy started doing that. Yeah. Just, just a little inter- intercept. And when we all had iPads, which no one yep. really does now except grandma, and we used to call it the iPoo. Like yeah. Leroy would just go in there for hours, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and then there's does. also another reason, and that is that uh, boys and men actually need these quiet spaces for their brain to be able to process whatever's going on. So neurologically, they need more spaces of absolute quietness, and sometimes that's the only place they get it. Interestingly, females, particularly girls and women, we can restore our neurological basis while we're talking. <laughs> ain't that the truth so can you see we're yabbering on to our poor man in our house and he's just needing silence to be able to process now is there something i have to fix here is there a, is there a, a saber-toothed tiger i've got to kill is there a project i have to do what have i done wrong um when we're just doing a bit of venting so it's a really good time for us to understand and, and if you've got little girls sometimes they'll they'll start doing some venting through some of their meltdowns and their irrational frustrations that's how they're trying to discharge it. And little yeah. boys will quite often be trying to kick the dog or throw yeah. themselves off the, the couch on the floor or they're trying to dispel it by physical activity. And so we've got to be mindful that sometimes the behaviour of our children at the moment is a form of language around responding to us because we're not feeling quite as safe as we used to be. And I think it's important to tell them, you know, that it is a worrying time and that we are a bit stressed but that we need them to help us too to stay happy we need their hugs we need them to be part of helping us be big and safe rather than just trying to fake it because they hate it when we fake it oh my god that's so so true they'll get you a cup of they'll get you they'll make you toast it'll be disgusting because they'll put them vegemite a half inch (laughs) thick they'll make you pretend cups of tea they'll bring you a teddy bear they will hold you and hug you can you yeah. see, let them have what I call agency? Yes. You're hearing yeah. lots of teens who are finally stepping up, recognising, hey, listen, you know, our whole family's in this, you know, mm. so it's not just about me because that's an egocentric window. Um, they're realising that there's things that they're unexpectedly turning up and doing some chores, which is nearly making parents faint. Yeah, well, not at my house not yet. Not at, we your house? That no, at your house? I think we're still in, like, HSC yeah. redemption mode or yeah. something. Yeah. And it's like pissed off with not going on gap year travels. And, totally. You know, there's a bit of rebellion finally happening. I think all that hunkering down for two years of focus, although oh. Leroy pretty much shagged his way through as well. You know, he's having a good time. Yeah. But I think it was still hard work. And so I think we're in a bit of a, like a pushback phase at the moment. But um, I know. it's and- amazing how. Parenting's always changing, right? And it's always keeping you on your toes. That's what's so fun about it. And, of course, what's really a bit funny is that we thought it was stressful before, didn't we? <laughs> so it's all relative. I just love it. You know, I had all these messages from stressed parents and then I look at it now and I'm going, man, it's nothing compared to now. And then one of the things, you know, I think I put it up in one of my posts was, one of the things that parents would say is, I don't have time to sit there and do all this connection with my kids. I don't have time to read because I've got to pick them up from all their activities. And isn't it funny? The universe has just given you this beautiful gift. Yeah. And it, it's taken a few weeks 
to kind of recognise that there's only so much you can do. So any of you out there with primary school age children, you know, and you've, and you've got your kids have got their, you know, schoolwork to do. Remember a good hour to two hours yeah. is tops in a whole day at school. And if they can't do that, because remember stress brains do not learn well. Just focus on reading and do basic maths with sorts of simple board games or counting M&Ms or Smarties. Let's make it fun. Yeah. Um, what I'm concerned is that um, parents are now beating themselves up and worried that their children are going to fall behind. But I'm going to say all children are having a little lullaby in this section. Yeah. The only tricky bit is our senior secondary, of course, who who this is still, we're heading to that space again. This is their year 11, the year 12 there. Um, we know the ATAR is probably not going to happen, but what is going to probably get you to university if you're that sort of um, student is how well you do your major assessments. Yeah. So the pressure, which actually technically makes it a bit easier because you don't have that threat of an exam, which often puts that additional threat. So they've got to just work really hard on their assessments and then have a bit of a break because the mini assessments won't be the thing that counts it. And I think you know, you may actually get even more effective learning. Yeah, totally. No, we could. But it is, I think it's really helpful what you're putting on your Facebook page, mm. um, those calming yeah. techniques, the mindfulness techniques. Yeah. I just so can't funny. believe it, you know. Like I've been doing yoga since I was 16, so we're 30 years now and I've been teaching for 25. I still have mm. to remember to do my deep breathing. I know. And the hand on the, yeah. the opposite yeah. foot and the forehead is just so beautiful. beautiful. I know. And it's They're crazy. They're all so helpful. So it was so funny because, once again, um, I am a really weird lady because I spent most of my childhood in, my, in the bush and out in nature. So I'm incredibly intuitive. I'm, I, I'm pretty clever too, but that's only because I've learned that. But the rest of it is I don't function all the time from my head. I function from a sensory space of this feels right. And I was walking um, Hugo Walter uh, up on the hills uh, for his walk and lucky it's a big area. So we're all plenty far enough apart. And the idea dropped into my head that I could just do some really simple things that we might forget. Um, anyway, so as I'm doing that, I don't know whether you call it your higher self, but yep. the part within me that wanted to be a helper by the time I'd walked home, which was 20 minutes, I had about 11 in my head. Anyway, so it was a Sunday. So I've sat down in front of me and done video after video after video. My poor team turn up on Monday morning. There's 12 videos waiting for them going, what the hell has Maggie been doing all afternoon? And then there's another. And so I think there's 20 at the moment. There's another five that I want to put in. And what I loved was how it was just a reminder, exactly like you said. The first one was just the 424 breath. How many people thought, my God, I'm forgetting to do that? Because totally. the amygdala winds us up and part of that means I've got to breathe faster in case I've got to run fast. And we don't realise that unless we can take those, and it costs nothing, takes seconds. Um, and so that same sort of thing that... Um, they just was short, and it was so. It was just perfect because I really wanted to, to somehow or other help, um, yep. in a simplistic, quick way. Because we haven't got the energy to read long things, we yep. haven't got the energy to go and you know. I thought I'd catch up on all my online courses I've paid for yep. over the years. I haven't even looked at the page because I too am in survival mode. Yeah. Um, and. You know, even though I've got a couple of webinars that I've penciled in, there's a part of me that just wants to be in this um, 
in this kind yeah. of reality, which is one I've never been in before and I'm quite old, um, but also want to be the one that holds the grounded space that yeah. just keeps reassuring people, you, you know, you really are doing okay and we really do have this and there's yeah. no perfect and it's okay. Um, and just remember that, you know, the number one thing is that we just want to make sure we avoid spreading this goddamn awful virus that has a potential still to kill and be spread easily. So yeah. I think our kids are also learning some great lessons in life, Nadine, around this, because, you know, I've written a whole book on resilience and it was something I noticed uh, in my counselling um, that kids were less resilient and um, like becoming less resilient over yes, time. over yeah. time, a gradual. And I guess it, it was also in alignment with parenting becoming more gentle. Which oh, we interesting. Become more gentle. But what in more gentle, some people thought that was we do more for our children. But you can gently empower your children to step up. Um, and that's where I had that 10 building blocks, that there's 10 ways you can strengthen your children's capacity to manage. But also... Um, this generation of parents, and that's including myself, have not been through world wars or major depressions. So I was raised by those sorts. My grandfather was on the farm. He was um, at the Western Front and I have walked in his footsteps. I've read his diary of the horrific, horrific time he experienced and all of that uncertainty for families then. Um, and it went on for four years right? We've had five or six weeks of discomfort. And, you know, it's almost like a first world problem compared to that. Yeah. And so I think it's a wake up that, that maybe we we're a little off center with the way that we were living our lives. I've banged on forever. And that was my first book saying, I think we need to slow childhood back down again. Mm. I think we need to slow life down back, back down a little, because I think it's too much too soon doesn't allow us to grow totally. our whole person. Yeah. And I'm seeing that now. There's, there's those examples, like I said before, of um, people reaching out and checking on their neighbours and, and being more aware of neighbourhoods. I think afterwards we're going to have a different sense of belonging in our neighbourhoods, which is human connectedness again. Yeah. I think we've, we've, we've learnt also that in the darkest of everything, the human spirit will shine through. And I try to put those things on my page. You know, when all those people come out and join a song on a Zoom that just makes oh my Oh, my God. Cry. When they were singing in Italy, when they're in such crisis, um, the arts, again, that we need to value the arts in our world. We keep trying to push it out of our schools to fit more, you know, technology in. And I yeah. keep going, you've yeah. got to keep the arts. Um, and I think it's li it helps to lift our spirit. Don't totally. You and the gestures of kindness and the gestures of goodwill just like after our bushfires sometimes in adversity yeah that's when we step forward yeah with the humanity yeah. we've all got we might forget it and be a you know get misled by a consumer world that suggests we should have more stuff um or value people um you know who you know pretend to be other people and make millions of dollars or <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. i just felt I just felt we were a little bit off centre in terms of where the core values of humanity are. And I think this is a global kind of wake up. Not that we ever, ever would want anything like this ever to happen, but I do. I, I'm enormously optimistic that our children are going to grow from this. They're going to realise that that was really awful. Do you remember? They've got stories to tell their grandchildren. Yeah. 
when there was nobody on the streets of Sydney, nobody on the streets of Paris. Um, it was really scary and thousands of people died. Yeah. Mm. But you know what? We bunkered down. We stayed in isolation to stay safe, you know, and gradually we're going to come back from this and they will be stronger. Yeah. Totally. I heard a study and I talk about it in She Births um, about children that are raised with access to grandparents uh, tend to have a higher self-esteem and greater resilience. And I heard it on Radio National because I'm obsessed with Radio National and they didn't sort of go into the analysis of why, but I've always felt and believed and shared that I think it does come down to those stories that you hear from grandparents about the Western Front, about surviving breast cancer, because of course, in those first seven years, children just have mirror neurons. Their ego development is coming from that is me, that is you, but it's all oneself, right? It's got to come from that. But now they've got an embodied experience um, and we all have this shared experience. So I I think we do all grow through adversity as well. I think also it is impacting everyone regardless of where you live, right? Regardless of whether you are in the high socioeconomic or low, everyone is impacted with the same threat. Um, And what we do know is that, um, so you can't develop emotional buoyancy without experiencing the opposite. And that's why Mm You know, I've been a, a really crabby person saying we really need to let children fail more often as children. How do you uh, do that? I have yeah. to ask you, like, how do we do that? Oh, it's easy. You just got to go back to playing an awful lot more games with them instead of letting them play games with a device which doesn't express its dismay when it loses. Um, but also simple things like um, we used to have games in our um, early child, you know, young children's birthday parties where they had to lose, like pin the yes. tail on the donkey, musical chairs, um, and pass the parcel. Well, now nearly everyone gets a prize because the kind of self-esteem movement made us all feel, don't let them feel sad. Whereas I'm saying, yeah, I need you to feel sad and I need you <laughs> I to know you. it sucks. <laughs> it really sucks when you feel sad and you don't get what you want because if yeah. we always protect them from getting giving them what they want, not letting them experience failure. That's why we're finding our kids were um, experiencing a lot more anxiety around NAPLAN results, NAPLAN exams, because it was like, I can't possibly fail. No, we need you to fail. Um, And when past the parcel, you go back to having three games with only one winner. What we do when that first, you know, the child says, but I didn't get a prize. We kneel down and validate. This is where you learn about life. We go, doesn't it suck, sweetheart? Mm. That's called failure. That's called disappointment. But don't worry. You might have another go. Let's get up and have another go. So Mm. the whole notion of resilience is persistence. And it has to do with our attitude of Mm. getting up. Um, and having another go. And that's one of the beautiful things that my dad taught me. I had a fabulous dad. Um, He noticed when I was about eight that I wasn't very fast at running. So I was coming last in running races. And he said to me one day, I noticed that you come last. It might feel a bit yucky sometimes. I said, yeah, it does feel yucky sometimes. And he said, the first thing he said to me was, what I always want you to do is I always want you to turn up even if you've got no show of winning. Mm. because he's in, in, in my world that was what makes me most proud mm. is, the, is you turn up and have a go. And the second thing he said, now, if it feels a bit sad, wave at the crowd. <laughs> That's he gave me a great strategy. So as I ran down the back front, I'd be waving and quite often fell over because I was so enthusiastically waving. And then I realised um, I could find someone else who's also coming last and hook arms 
So he was, he gave me a beautiful strategy and that strategy really is, and that persistence that I have is probably why I'm doing what I do today. I don't give up easily and I'll turn up even if there's no chance of me having what I call a win. And I think parents, we need to sit with our children any time from sort of seven to 10. sow this seed that says, do you know what? You're born into this wonderful world with some unique strengths and some unique gifts. Now, for some kids, that means being really smart at maths and English at school. For some, they're just naturally gifted sporting-wise. For some, they're musically gifted. For others, it might be that they're unbelievably good at communicating or they're good at um, caring for the environment. But inside you is already a gift. So sometimes it doesn't shine. So if you've got a child who struggles at school, our job is to find what other strength they have and absolutely focus on building that rather than fixing the bit that's not always strong. So again, say, I know you're not very good at sight words, but I still want you to practice and go and have a go. You know, if you want to get better at something, we just keep practicing. It's not a sign that you're dumb or useless or not good enough. It's that in life, you're going to have opportunities where it's what you put into it is what you get out of it. So again, we're talking about the attitudes that pop into our children from when even quite little. And if you've got a habit of doing that, they'll start giving them back to you. I still remember at one point, um, uh, one of my sort of sayings around home was every now and then you've got to put your big pants on and just go do it. <laughs> and I have to laugh because at that point, the boys weren't that old. And I, even I didn't have very big pants then, but I do chuckle every now and then because I've heard one of my sons say it to one of his, uh, his little toddlers, you just got to put your big pants on and go and do it and have a go. And I thought, <laughs> so can you see what we actually, we're constantly dropping little messages into our kids. Yeah. That, um, life is unexpected. Yeah. There are times that bad things happen to good people and that we gather together as family and as friends to do that. And you're lucky enough to have grandparents who can be your backup. You know, that when mum and dad are too tired, you can lean on them. That's great. Um, I ended up adopting a grandmother figure in our family. Um, I was, I facilitated her husband's death in the hospice and so we had a very special bond because I was at his other birthing um and I hubby and I needed to go for a school meeting and um my normal babysitter was unavailable so she said she'd look after them so she's turned up and it was our takeaway night was one chicken and one bucket of chips and you shared it between four boys mm-hmm. um she turned up with two buckets of chips two chickens and some oh, ice creams oh, oh my, my god, god. <laughs> Halfway through that delicious meal while they were fanging out, the eight-year-old said to her, hey, Pat, would you like to be our other grandma? Because we <laughs> kind of got dodgy grandmas. One was a long way away and my, mine was a bit grumpy. So, And she just has been their other grandmother ever since. So I want to encourage you, is there somewhere around you an older wiser, what I call a Wilma, who's a person that whenever you're, she's around, you never feel worse. So you can have your worst day. And she just makes a cup of tea for you and gets you a Tim Tam and says, don't worry. That's what we all need. Yeah. I think that, you know, our lives get so busy and we've got so much pressure on mummies to get back to work. Yeah. You know, Um, and it's great if we've got the co-parent who's picking up some of the slack, but we tend to know, don't we, that we may go back and work and then we've still got an awful lot to do when we get home. That our to-do list and the mental load on women, my goodness, how can you be present attuning to a child or a toddler when you are exhausted 
I yeah. don't know how you do that. And I think that's a worry because I think it compromises immune systems. Um, yeah. I know that they're, you know, that once again, we do have to have um, the right and responsibility to take care of ourselves, which says every now and then I need a break. Every now and then I need an early night. Um, yeah. And isn't it beautiful? I, I have gorgeous, one of my sons, I mean, they've got gorgeous sons, but one is particularly attuned to his beautiful wife. And so for her birthday, he got, I get them a, a night in a hotel in the city and oh, I we go and look after the children. Good. What a good he, he went one better. He got her a night in the city so she could sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I How like good is that? Late checkout, no kids. Yeah. What a Clean winner. Sheet. Yeah, yeah. And, and you Ooh, have a long as you want in the bath. Yep. yep. So in other words, we restore, we get restored. When we're restored, we come back like fierce mama lionesses ready to go. But some days you can't be fierce because you've just got nothing left in your tank. Totally. I burned out a couple of times in my life. I had three life-threatening illnesses um, in my early years. It was partly because I was doing too much, trying yeah. to be Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, the boy's father was a vet, so he often would leave at seven and get home at seven, and I had four boys. Um, and I just, they, I didn't do that. I didn't look yeah. after me. And yeah. I know that it took a while. The boys were probably a little bit older when I kept realising, you know what, I need some time out. I'm going to have a bath with my favourite music and my essences and my. And I've locked the door, do not come in. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be gone for 20 minutes. And... Um, they used to poke notes under the door, you know, yeah. and I had some ice cream, you know, like whatever. I ignored them. And I, I did that, you know, like, so I guess the youngest would have been about four when I started doing that and the oldest would have been about 12. And then when number two son was 14, um, uh, I, I was really doing too much again and I agreed to help um, do the opening of a gymnasium with like 40 different items for the celebration like I was and teaching full-time because <sighs> I, I, when I'm tired I say yes too often yes we do don't we anyway and I and I was walking down the passageway and my 14 year old son said mum I've run you a bath oh he'd lit the candles he'd put my essence in he said go and have a bath Oh. See, so when again, yeah. uh, we need to be able to let our, our children know every now and then mama's not Wonder Woman. Yeah. And, and if we do that need that, I encourage you to have a what I call a resting chair or in your garden or on your balcony. Some mm. days just take your cup of tea out, give yourself a regrouping space, you know, Tim Tam or not, you know, whatever mm. it is, one of those mm. protein balls, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Take some time to regroup that nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, like I said, do some breathing while you're there. Yeah. Coach yourself back into, well, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Yeah, I've got this, whatever. Yeah. Because it's those little breaks, which is like those little soothers, just little ones will just restore you to be able to function and, and be the parent you want to be in those moments. Totally. And sometimes, you know, we think we need much longer than what we yeah. do, but it's the degree and the depth of presence we bring to that moment, yeah. that mindfulness that we bring to that cup of tea or that totally. gazing up at the sky. I mean, I love hanging out washing. Yes. I think it's because it makes me look up, you know, at the yeah. sky. 
and it just I lo- feels. I love weeding for the reason that I'm in the ground and I'm actually around. and also my gardening sets me. Often I set things into it like I'm just about ready to put bulbs in because I set forward something in the earth that I look yeah. forward to. Yeah, um, that's you know, and I'm a mad rose lady for the same reason. I love it when I prune them all because I know I've got something to look forward to in spring when my roses turn up. And that's wired into my psyche. So we've got to remember all of us have a different experience. And I think um, it's not selfish. I do think there's a lot of mums who feel guilty when they go to do something for them, whether it's go to the yoga class. I did Tai Chi um, and my boys knew I was much better for the next two days after my Tai Chi class. Even as a yoga teacher, like Leroy's like, mum, will you go to a yoga class? You're so much nicer after a yoga class already. Exactly. It's true. And that would give you a run for a couple of days. Yeah. I wanted to come back to um, just one thing that sparked and it might lead us into another topic that I know our parents would love was just when you were talking about that failing and losing Mm. I think that probably must help as well children sort of develop an empathy with others you know so that they understand how it does feel when another kid is losing and they can be kinder to that person so what's the is that sort of linking to your kindness warrior like what is the kindness warrior and why do we need more okay so um and it also touches on temperament as well so you know that there, um, on the temperament spectrum, we have lambs at one end who are often born very sensitive and who actually quite often have empathy. And then we have the roosters at the other end that are just more narcissistic and driven and selfish and self-focused and competitive and it's all about me. So it, essentially what we want is we want to be able to get our kids in the centre of that spectrum so that the, the rooster children can access the empathy and, the, and the, these ones can be brave instead of being wimpy. Well, guess what? Often the universe delivers your children in that order. Mm. You'll either have a lamb or and then you'll have a rooster. In, in other words, one knocks off rough edges and the other builds that part. So what I, what I suggest is um, every now and then I do lots of let's pretend and I do visualisations that help children realise how it might feel to be someone else and um, I had uh, a kind of a run of um, little boys and a few very bossy little girls in early childhood that were really really causing havoc Um, and what I kind of did in one of my meditations was I thought I just think they've lacked a few of the social cues these Mm. kids weren't on a spectrum they came from just normal rowdy homes like everybody else's so I created a visualization where children firstly had to pretend they had a little puppy um, on their tummy and they had to stroke the puppy to make it feel safe and cared for. Because if you don't know what that feeling feels like in the body, then you can't know when you're there and you don't know what you're missing. So that's the beginning of that visualization. It was really interesting because they can just use a pretend stuffed toy if they've got one. Um, and I had a, a lady with a couple of really tough boys in a low socioeconomic area and she said, we just did it in our imagination for the first time, but these two boys didn't get it. So she got them a stuffed toy. Mm. But once they had the stuffed toy, it, it happened. And she said, I could see their faces like really focusing all this tenderness into that little stuffed toy. And then what they do is they pretend they're about to come into their centre and they've got to put on their biggest smile because once again, it's a welcoming thing. And also they've got to put their shoulders up and they've got to go in. And when they see someone they know, they call out their name, they might high five them or they might give them a hug. So a welcoming strategy sets a child up for connectedness. 
these kids didn't have it. Mm. But then we went on in the, in the visualization. Okay, so now you're going to go off and play. And then I talked about sometimes your friends want to do things that you don't want to do. And sometimes a good friend lets them do that because knowing that it will be your turn soon. So in other words, that discomfort that we get sometimes because I can't get my own way. When you do it on an interior level, you're setting up a new video for them to see it differently. Mm. And then I talked about being too bossy. <laughs> and I said I was very bossy and I don't want and, and it's really interesting how that really resonates with a lot of girls yeah. and then I went on to say sometimes your friend might turn up and they might be sad or they might be angry well you can help them um, to make them happy again by asking if they want to come out and have a play or you might want to tell them a joke and then at the end of the visualization we asked them then to go and farewell them because sometimes a little boy will run up to farewell his best mate and punch him in the head <laughs> yeah. because he kind of didn't mean to but he just missed the arm and he got the head so it's interesting because what's happened is that visualization when used two or three times with children who don't have those skills before you know it unbelievable shifts start happening because really? their unconscious starts doing those things without being told or reminded. Wow. We've had um, some kids in the foster care system who found it really difficult to create friendships, um, who've had amazing shifts in that, but also um, um, the unhappy kid, that one that nobody wants to play with me. Well, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, mm. again, when we actually do let's pretend, we can often do what would it feel like Mm. somebody noticed that you were sitting by yourself mm. a bit sad and someone came over. So we, what we keep doing is we, we work on the inner video. And yeah, the projector. It's just so amazingly fertile. That's, yes. So, you know, again, we can't just have a conversation saying, look, I want you to be kind. You're a bit too mean. What does that mean to a four-year-old? Mm. in an egocentric window of development where they think, you know, that's just not one of the things that they've got the wiring to understand. Mm. But often we can use it with um, puppets and things, can't we? Yes. And that's the other thing, using their toys. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things I've suggested to parents who've got, you know, three and four-year-olds and even five-year-olds who are missing their friends in long daycare is to take one of their toys and, and put a name around it as one of their friends and take it with them as they play at home. Well, that will feel real to them. Yeah, right? that's beautiful. That sense of imaginary connection because that imagination, it's the way I transformed most little children's big problems. Wow. An inner journey, not an external journey. Totally makes so much sense because they've got so many more neurons firing Absolutely. in their little brain and we forget how neuroplastic they are. And, of yep. course, the movie projector of the mind and the body connection, it's just so simple and so wise, Maggie, just like <laughs> you to a tea, Dulce. <laughs> I just loved it because I did it to one little girl once in, in, the, in my clinic and oh, my God, her parents rang me up two days later and said, we've got a different child. We've got this happy wow. child who's got friends. Oh, my God, it was like a miracle. And I thought, wow, that was just a kind of intuitive choice at that time. Um, and what's beautiful is I have early childhood educators everywhere who kind of use that quite early in the year. And any time there's a bit of bickering going on, they put it on for a couple more times and it resets kids back into that lovely space. Um, the same as calming the angry ant, which is a breath one, which is so beautiful, getting children to breathe out their anger. And when it's all gone, they breathe in their favourite calm colour and then mm. they become a calm animal. 
Oh, I love that. And it's so simple because every now and then we've got teachers saying, okay, I want you to run outside and come back as your calm animal. They go out, scream, they come in. Oh, my God. I wish we had you as a teacher. Yeah. (laughs) But I think those are such great, amazing tools, resources and skills to bring in that are fun and simple and easy. So, like, for the pregnant couple, like, of your books, what would be the the number one book to read if you're pregnant or with a, you know, one to two? Like, is there sort of a way to go through and choose your books? I think Nine Things is definitely the first book you should read if you've got children under three. Mm. Uh, and you're preparing. And actual fact, it's interesting that when I, um, when someone gets that book, quite often it's given at um, baby showers. Mm. Um, and then about six months in, when they actually have a bit of a chance to do a bit more of a reading, they cry because in nearly every chapter I say, no, you're not a lousy parent if you're finding yeah. it difficult to have your baby sleeping like everyone says they have. No, you're not a lousy parent if this is happening. No, you, and, and, of course, it makes them cry so they all feel a lot better. So that's my first one. Um, <laughs> If you do have a little boy, um, uh, particularly for mums who didn't have brothers, um, I definitely would suggest mothering our boys so that you can get to realise that they are way more sensitive than we ever believe and that your capacity to create, you know, a deep amount of love with a boy who's like a turbo jet, um, that would be a good one. And then probably, um, yeah, I'd... Probably think, um, probably sign, there's the calming book, Saving Our Children from Our Chaotic World. That one really is a reassurance why we don't have to go fast. It mm-hmm. talks a lot about um, the mindfulness stuff in terms of why nature matters and why, you know, play matters and things that are really simple. But why, what is anxiety? When is it problematic? What can it manifest as? Um, yeah, and then as they get a little bit older, probably four, five or six, then you're ready for the resilience book, which is Beautiful. Real Kids in an Unreal World. Yeah. So, um, and as I said, there's lots and lots of my, the Maggie moments are really short three-minute videos on YouTube, which I have found lots of dads love because a lot of dads aren't into reading parenting no. books. And I make them a bit long. I've got great indexes in my book. So you just go to biting and then you'll go to that bit. That's all you need to read. Yeah. Um, and then of course, um, the Maggie soothers that I've been doing, they were all up on YouTube free. And then of course, um, the parental as anything podcast with the ABC, there are half hour ones, which are great for mums and dads to listen to together, Nadine, because we do a nice blend of serious and light. And I hope I give everyone a bit of a Maggie hug at the end saying it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You do. You, you leave us with that faith. You, I think you're just kind of pulling, digging into all of our psyches and our wisdom and helping us see those inner resources and strengths and tools that we all have that are natural and innate. You're just giving us that permission and world has changed. Thank God, since, you know, the mad men era and we're going through, we've been through swings and roundabouts with parenting, but there's a real opportunity now to come to a really balanced place with yeah. parenting. Yeah. And, I and think also you're really recognizing that. that the shifting paradigm of our dads as they step into being the loving dads that they wanted when they were little boys and how that's also allowing us as, as women to allow them to come into that space, which we thought was our territory. So team parenting is a whole new dynamic, which, oh, that might be one of my last books before I Ooh. retire forever. Um, just helping us understand we have slightly different ways of seeing things and doing things. Um, yeah. And I keep reassuring dads that, you know, um, it, there is two ways to change a nappy and they're both valid. 
Yeah. And we don't <laughs> discourage the dad who manages to put the uh, onesie over the leggings because it still looks cute. It's totally it? great. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. There's so much resonance because, you know, and team parenting, I think, mm. starts with this team pregnancy, team yes. birth, you yes. know, and there's so much in that as well. Um, is there any, do you think that birth and the way we go through it and the way we go through pregnancy impacts our parenting? Do you think there's a correlation there? Um, mm, that's a really good question. I, I just, I just know that the one thing I, I kind of found was, um, uh, and it's partly driven again by, you know, glossy magazines of parenting that make parenting look magical, that you can have a birth plan, but I need you to trust um, that the number one job, <laughs> it doesn't matter what direction it goes, is okay. Yeah. So if you're planning a vaginal birth and it doesn't end up that way, you haven't failed at all. If you're planning an epidural and you don't and you do when you don't, no, no, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what we want is a healthy baby and a healthy mummy and a, and a sobbing dad at the end going, I can't believe, <laughs> you know, because the emotional impact on fathers is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And they can't always articulate it. Um, I just think we need to look at the sacredness of this journey, the birthing into this world, um, that every single child has kind of got its own unique little journey that it often begins before birth. I had... I, I kind of all mine became earlier and earlier. Um, so I had three posteriors and then I had the one around the right way. It was so funny. So the third one was around the right way. I had a silent um, first stage for a lot of it. So I mm. kind of was a bit surprised when um, they need, they always need to do my bag of waters because I've got the toughest bag on the planet. Yeah, you got a tough bag. Yeah, I got yep. a tough bag, tough bag that's yep. in the notes, yep. tough bag, got to do that. <laughs> anyway, um, and within like, I usually go for hours before I get to, you know, stage. Yeah, with Anyway, posterior. and I'm sitting there and I, I, it was an hour into it and I just said, no, nah, hang on a minute, I'm feeling, you know, that really uncomfortable. No, I'm, I'm in transition. And I called out to my husband and said, you need to get the nurse. And he said, no, no, we've only been here an hour and a half because he's so used to long deliveries. Yeah. Said, no, you need to get the nurse. And he said, no, no, we haven't been here very long at all. And I said, you need to get the nurse. <laughs> Um, and she came in, oh, oh, it's silly here. So the doctor turned up with his paint shorts on. He'd been painting. He didn't yeah. even have a chance to get changed. So it was, yeah. and then I had a, the delivery that it was kind of like the one that people do have when it's around the right yeah. way. It was kind yeah. of like big bouncing, healthy baby. It was, he was four weeks early, but really healthy. Um, my dates obviously were wrong. Um, yeah, yeah oh, brilliantly. Oh, I was short labour. I bounced back and I went, wow, is that how it's supposed to be? Good. My body's learned how to do it. And then I had the fourth and he was another posterior. Another one. So again, I know. it's that surrendering. But I think there's a part in there that if you know, kind of it's allowing that, that relationship with whoever is with you, whether you're midwife. Um, and I love it when the same midwife is with you for the whole journey, if that's possible, mm. because you're kind of... It is a sacred journey and they get to totally. the cues that we are unable to be able to <laughs> read because we're not always in the state for reading. Um, you know, that they got that right mix of knowing how to hold us in their safety and also how to challenge us when we need it, but also how to trust our body yeah, know what it's doing. So it's a, it, and I take my, I reckon it's one of the most sacred jobs on earth being a it midwife. Is. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I had mine in the same hospital environment um, and I had two of the midwives were at all my four births. 
Amazing. And over the years, they'd run into me and check on me and say hello in the shops. And it was kind of that, you know, that original uh, community yeah. surfing. That, that community. Yeah. yeah. The so, village. The village. That's what we would have always had. And I That's think exactly this COVID it. time as well, we're getting this renaissance of family, yeah. renaissance of community, renaissance of care, maybe a lessening of our ambitions. Yes, yes. But and control. Yeah, and coming back to our bodies and nature yeah. and connection yeah. with ourselves and our children. That's absolutely right because we have been having babies forever. Um, yeah. But there's kind of like having these, some of the baby showers when we name them and do all these things. I'm always a little bit nervous, you know, because I have done um, yeah. Yeah. funerals for ones that have been born sleeping and still births and it's still not a guarantee. You know, it doesn't mm. matter how fantastic everything is. It's, it's still risky. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so that, like I said, we need to look at the sacredness of yeah. it, not just the physicality of it. And that's yeah. something I wonder in our world of kind of the, the me world and the ego-driven world that we miss that, that place here that says, hey, yeah. it's we're a on a journey. Time. I'm bringing some unique miracle into our world yeah. and um, we need to be blessed with whatever that may be. Totally. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being the guiding light for us, you know, <laughs> a beacon of light, the lighthouse mm. in the storm in this COVID time, but a total beacon of light reflecting to us who we are and what we can yeah. be as parents, be the best parents. And, and I'd people. like them all to keep seeing me as their kind of old auntie. Wilma, are we allowed yeah, to call you Wilma? You can call me Wilma Arnie Mag. Either way, I'm just, I'm right there in spirit and right beside you. So in the middle of the night, apparently people say sometimes, well, what would Maggie do now? Totally. I'm going to do that from today Please, on. What would Maggie do now? Yeah. That's a few dads say that. What would Maggie do now? And they say, have a cup of tea. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, I love it. I'm going to take that on because I don't have a Wilma, but yeah. you're going to be my cyber Wilma and I wish I was Perfect. in Jerringong, but you know. <laughs> Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. All the very best wishes from my heart to everybody who's listening. Thank you, darling. Thank you for your precious time. Lots okay. of love. Bye. I'm Nadine Richardson, and you've been listening to The She Births Show. If you have enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of doulas and educators at shebirths.com. That's plural, she births, like she births a baby. And of course, our awesome community is on Instagram and Facebook. Even in the app store, you'll be able to download our free pregnancy support guide via the She Births app. That's plural again, and it's two words. So you can access as well our online She Births courses that way too. Remember, when it comes to having a better birth, an easier transition into parenthood, your education is your empowerment. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show.